Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. This weekly program sponsored by the Coming Home Network International, but coming to you over EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining us. Whether you're listening to us on the radio or on the internet, because this program is live on the internet. And uh, thank you for, especially those of you that are regular listeners, and the comments you give us through the forum and the emails are always a very great encouragement. I want to remind you that this radio program is connected with deepinscripture.com radio internet. So thank you for joining us. Part of the goal of this program each week is I invite guests to come and talk about scriptures that were important to them in their journey of faith in relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ as well as his church. And sometimes those scriptures are what we call verses we never saw. In other words, from guests who loved scripture, loved our Lord, but were uh, blindsided sometimes by particular scriptures that they had either ignored or just had not seen before. And that might be a bit of the case for our guest today. It's a great pleasure to invite Teresa Tamio to join us on this program. Those of you who listen to EWTN Radio are going to be quite familiar with her. She does many things. She is an author, syndicated talk show host, motivational speaker at the forefront of contemporary Catholic engagement with the media and pop culture. Uh, She had a long career, both as a print and broadcast journalist, mostly in the Detroit area. She left the secular media in 2000 to start Teresa Tamio Communications, a motivational speaking and media consulting firm, spurred on by what she called her own disillusionment with the prevailing culture of media and journalism. Teresa now travels around the nation and the world giving talks and training seminars in media awareness and media activism, as well as sharing her reversion to the Catholic Church. Um, her She has two books. Her first is called Noise, How Our Media-Saturated Culture Dominates Lives and Dismantles Families, published by Ascension Press. And her Second book, News Flash, My Surprising Journey from Secular Anchor to Media Evangelist, was published a couple years ago, 2008. Teresa has also co-authored a series of popular Catholic books for girls entitled All Things Girl, focusing on modesty and chastity. And, and Teresa, I haven't read that one yet, so just so you, <laughs> you know. Put that uh, on your list. <laughs> Teresa is the host of the daily syndicated Catholic radio show, Catholic Connection, Produced by Ave Maria Radio and syndicated through the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. She is also a columnist for the National Catholic Newspaper, Our Sunday Visitor. She appears frequently on EWTN Catholic Television and has also been featured on Fox and Friends, The O'Reilly Factor, as well as other secular TV and radio programs discussing issues of faith, culture, and media. And I'm feeling real sheepish here because you don't get much more amateur than me when it comes to television and radio. Mm-hmm. So I have here as a guest quite a professional. It's great to have her here. Now, Teresa has chosen a, a, a fistful of verses that um, relate to her journey of faith, drawing her to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Uh, I'm going to just read one, which is top on her list, and then after that we'll take a break and Teresa will join us. She chose, it comes from one of my favorite parts of Scripture too, that whole wonderful uh, analogy of the vine and the branches that Jesus gives in John chapter 15, which most presume is connected with the evening of the original Holy Thursday. Mm-hmm. And in in that wonderful chapter in which he is also preparing his followers to uh, understand their need to remain in him or abide in him as the RSV translation uses. In the middle of that is this wonderful verse 5. And I'll read that and then we'll take a break. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Teresa Tamio. Hello, Teresa. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on the program. It's great to have you sitting across from me in the studio as opposed to a telephone or and we've done those or radios. bumping to each other in the airport as we have or at speaking engagements exactly yes. and uh, or i think i think you and i have done together uh, catholic radio yes uh, promotional mm-hmm. fundraisers and i've often said anybody any Catholic radio station that invites me to give a pitch for Catholic radio, I'll do with, without blinking an exactly. eye because I deeply believe so in the important. power of Catholic mm-hmm. radio. Uh, and again, I hope that this program is encouragement to those of you out there who are listening. Teresa, um, boy, there's so much we could jump into. You're, you're, you know, we, you're going to be on the journey home here in a couple of weeks to give their full story. Mm-hmm. But as I can't help but think that as we enter into these scriptures that they are connected with your journey. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. And particularly this John 15, 5, I mean, even before we jump into that and why in general you chose that, I mean, how does this verse connect with your journey? Well, it, it's it's my whole life story in terms of uh, when I fell away from the faith and, and was gradually desensitized to the point where I wasn't even going to Mass anymore, except maybe at Christmas and Easter if I can fit it into my busy you know, calendar, so to speak. Uh, my life fell apart, literally fell apart. My marriage almost fell apart. We came very close uh, to divorce, separated for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, my career became meaningless. It just became um, something I was doing. It was like just uh, going in and, you know, punching a clock. It didn't mean anything anymore. And it was void of any real uh, joy. And I had totally uh, become pretty much a secularized person. And when I saw this verse, when I started studying scripture on my way back to Rome, I saw this and I said, that was me. You know, without God, you can't do anything. You may be doing stuff, but it has no meaning and it's not producing fruit. It's just so, was literally my life story. And of course, it's also very Eucharistic because by abiding in him, how do we do that? Well, the most direct way is through receiving him. To the Eucharist. Let, yeah, let's let's jump into detail in that verse then, if you would, um, because this issue of abiding in Him, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opinions out there on what that means. All the different traditions, uh, you know, the Presbyterian and the Pentecostal, the Baptist, uh, and then even when you when you kind of bump out of Christianity and maybe other religions that uh, are floating around your life up there in Detroit. You know, what does it mean to abide in God, mm-hmm. and how does one do it? You went through stages in that. First of all, before your awakening, as maybe a summary to everyone, that you were brought up Catholic and the usual conveyor belt, the usual hoops, and uh, maybe for the longest part of your life, nobody would have noticed that there was anything missing in mm-hmm. your life. And then you went through a difficult time. Well, maybe you didn't think it was difficult at the time, but you became absorbed, absorbed in your media work, right. and that became your God. That became my God. That was yeah. my. That was yeah. what I put everything in. And I even put my marriage second, because everything was about the career. Because that's what we were told as women: you have to take care of your needs and your wants first. It was all about me, myself, and I. So, you were a Catholic. Yeah, I was Catholic, and I still identify myself as Catholic. I never went to church, except, as I said, on the holidays when I had to, and I knew that, okay, I really got to go Christmas (laughs) and Easter. Kind of forgot about that mortal sin thing, not going on Sundays. It kind of pushed that out. But I said, no, I really should be going, at least try to get there on Christmas and Easter. But that was about it. Did the idea 
of abiding in Jesus cross your mind? No. No, because he wasn't on my radar screen. Somewhere he was always speaking to me in the back, I mean, in, in my book Newsflash, um, which you mentioned earlier, I give little glimpses of how God showed up from time to time. And there was one story, I think this is in the book, maybe not, but I know I do give it when I give my testimony, where I was doing a story. I was on the streets of Detroit getting what we call MOSs, or Man on the Street Response Sound Bites. And there was myself, a photographer, and at that point we still actually had the three people on a, on a shoot, which was they don't do anymore so because of money, but we had a sound man with us. And this woman came up out of the blue. I don't know where she came up. I was doing an interview on a little strip mall. And she walks up. She bypasses. So there were four people, including the interviewee, bypasses everybody else and hands me a tract. I had no idea what it was. I looked down. There was a couple of scripture verses about how you need Jesus Christ. And then when I got done with the interview, I looked around. This woman was nowhere to be found. (laughs) And so these little nuggets of things where God was, and then people would come into my life where I worked with someone who's now one of my best friends. Uh, she was a very um, wonderful uh, evangelical woman, but but not anti-Catholic at all. She really uh, actually was very much interested in the Catholic Church because of the charismatic renewal and, and everything that happened at Duquesne University. She was very familiar with it. Yep. Very, She was very fond of the Catholic Church. She hadn't converted yet, but um, she was she was popping in and out of my life from time to time and, all, and always saying, I'll pray for you and how are things going. And just there was this, this constant presence now that I look back of Jesus showing up and the church hmm. showing up from time to time. Uh, but this this verse really popped out at me when I was starting to study scripture. My husband and I came back to the church and we were in, he was first in a men's study, I was in a woman's study, then we had a joint couples, hmm. non-denominational study before they had a lot of good Catholic studies in our area. And this is one of the verses that just jumped out at me because that was my life. Because the devil uses a great variety of things mm-hmm. to, to get us off track. Even the most faithful, the most knowledgeable there's there are the voices there, mm-hmm. and and one of those uh, tools that, that the enemy uses is the in, is the the sin of presumption, and our our good Protestant brothers and sisters, some of them get caught up in a presumption called once saved always, always saved. saved. You know that's not scriptural. It's, it comes out of Luther and Calvin, but the the presumption is dealing with this verse. You know, I, okay, I accepted Jesus thirty years ago at a at a crusade, and I came, and I was saved. So the idea of abiding in Him loses its, you know, its grab, its need, its its incentive, its mm-hmm. motivation. Mm-hmm. Because even when you fail, you can say, "Well, I'm in Jesus." So yeah, I, I'm in Jesus. But there can be a bit of a Catholic presumption too, as you look back on those. How many years before you had your awakening? I left the faith uh, in college, not officially, but was drifting away. I would say I wasn't practicing my faith by the time I got to my freshman, end of my freshman year. So I'd say it was, uh, it was a good 20 years before I came back, okay. 15, 20 years. So, yeah. so we're talking 30 years of your mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. in which you didn't feel the need to abide in Jesus. Right. So what is the Catholic presumption? The Catholic presumption is that as long as you once in a while go to Mass and you go to confession, I didn't go to confession either, but as long as you were a good person, that's okay. It just mattered about, see, we had the opposite assumption that you just just doing things, earning your way into heaven. Well, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. You know, and then if we did commit a sin, which deep down in our soul we knew was a bad sin, then we could go to confession and then just go back to our regular way of life because we were, were fine. Uh, there was never, at least for the Catholics that I grew up with, and I was just talking about this with um, uh, your guys so when we went out to lunch, that it's just uh, the Catholics know so little, they just assume uh, so much about their faith that they're going to be just fine. And they don't build on it. And, and even the ones that are going to Mass, and, and I'm sure in some ways the Catholics listening are maybe preaching to the choir, uh, so I don't mean to insult anyone, but even Catholics who are going to Mass, um, you know, trying to go every week, what are they doing between Sunday, you know, and Sunday? It's interesting that one of the parallels between the, the Protestant presumption and the Catholic presumption is that in both cases, it, it, it's a looking back to something that, happened or that we did years ago, Mm -hmm. whether it's a Catholic, it was baptism, confirmation, uh, went through, you know, all the rites of passage back there. Yeah, I'm fine. I did all that. So what's the big deal? What do I need? And then the same thing with with the Protestants. See, what's interesting is that we're not really that different. I mean, the semantics (laughs) are different, but brothers and sisters, I think when when you sit down and really talk it out, we're not all that different. And somewhere deep down, I think we all believe the same things. You know, we just have to get a better understanding of that. Many things are very similar, and I think the 
uh, the enemy uses the same tools to to divide to divide us right. and pull us apart mm-hmm. and, and pull us away. So we have in this verse, though, it just is such an amazing verse because he assumes the necessity. If you look at all of John fifteen one through mm-hmm. eleven, at least right, right. this whole idea of the need to abide, because. You didn't quote the verse that says if you don't abide, right. you get cut off cut and off. thrown off like right. the branches right. and thrown into the fire. That just goes on in that whole, yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got it right here in front of me. The yeah. whole thing is about you have to stay because otherwise, you know, you're attached to him. Once you break off from that vine, you wither and you die and you can get you can get thrown out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's so much you can draw from this. I mean, attached to the vine, you can look at it as the church. You can look at it as Eucharist. You can look at it just, you know, obviously as that personal relationship with Christ, absolutely. But this is so rich for me. Yeah. And and he can't I I can't do it apart from Jesus I know that I didn't think that before um, thanks be to God I had some sense a semblance of a brain and realized that guess what it's not all about me finally even though it took me a long time but the other thing for me that I think is so crucial I can't do it apart from the Church and Jesus got to be Jesus first yeah. but within the teachings of the Catholic Church because the Church is what gives the world the truth about everything and to me and time and time again the natural law which is backed up in church teaching you know which has not changed for 2000 years is yeah. is repeated is revealed and that that's what keeps me catholic it's just it's so obvious when the scales fall off your eyes and you can see it <laughs> well part of the problem is and this may be again not just for catholics but for non-catholics too is that one of the most important events of our life was baptism. Mm-hmm. Because in baptism, that's when Scripture says we're born again. Right, John 3, 5, of and water in, and spirit. In, and right. in baptism, mm-hmm. we become a new creation. Mm-hmm. For In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, anyone who is in Christ, how do you become in Christ? Scripture says that's mm-hmm. through baptism. You become a part of the body. And, and the, the danger is because I didn't feel any different. Because it's something that happens in our soul. Uh, we don't sensually experience a change, so we can forget about that and not think, eh, baptism I'm didn't in. make a difference. I paid, my, paid my dues, I'm in. I get in the door. But yeah. it means that we are have been changed. But Scripture says that, that you know, because uh, we are baptized and now part of the body, that means we have to act on the graces in that, right? If you don't act, or on we it. can lose it, and that's what the whole second half of Ephesians is all about. Mm-hmm. It has to change your marriage. It has to change everything, and and the way you live with one another. But you can lose it. Okay, now then, Teresa, you had this awakening mm-hmm. during that time you were unemployed, and and it made you reevaluate your whole life and your marriage and. And thank the Lord that He had been using your husband to bring him back. Yeah, it was my husband through the Holy Spirit actually brought me paving back. Paving the, the way. Yeah. You've come out of that understanding the need to abide. Talk to the audience, okay. How do you abide? Well, for me, it's a number of ways. I'm a very um, visual person. Well, first of all, very Eucharistic because I, you know, uh, in the show that we're going to air on the ninth, I really get into the fact that when I made my Holy Communion, I knew that was Jesus in the Eucharist, yeah. and that's what kept me. Catholic. I mean, I, I could never walk away from Eucharist. I mean, uh, how could you? If, if you really, it's like Rosalind Moss always says, if, if Catholics knew what they had, they would never walk away. How could you ever walk away from that? And before you go on, hold that thought, because I just want to remind the audience that what Teresa has said is so clearly emphasized in that great Eucharistic passage in John, John 16, six. when it says, in John 16, yeah. verse 56 is the only place in chapter 6, verse 56, is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus says, how you abide. Right, he right. says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides, abides in, in me and I, I in him. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there it is. And that's so, what you were experiencing in right. your journey. So number, so number one, Eucharist, and not just obviously we receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity, but also Eucharistic adoration, which is mm-hmm. to me a very peaceful time. And, and we're blessed to have that at my parish. And just to sit there and to be quiet, which is a big deal for me to be quiet because I talk for a living, uh, and just to really just be in the presence of God. And also because I'm a very visual person, what my pastor and my spiritual director told me years ago in spiritual direction was start using the scriptures and do get into the habit of Lectio Divina or divine reading. 
And I'm blessed to have, as, as you mentioned in the uh, TV program, have been to the Holy Land several times, mm-hmm. and I travel and do pilgrimages both to Rome and to Israel. And having been to the Holy Land at least, I think, eight or nine times now, it's so easy for me, anytime I open Scripture, to just be there. <laughs> and because I'm a, I'm a TV person and I'm very aware of surroundings and visuals and, and images, I can just fit right into um, the Sea of Galilee or the Primacy of Peter or any, any particular scene, the Mount of Beatitudes, and just completely immerse myself. And then I, I just really just like to surround myself, and I think this is what's so great about being Catholic because it embodies everything who we are, not just the spiritual, because we're not just some spiritual beings floating around. We're, we're, we're a body. We're physical. We were created in his image and likeness. I love the physical trappings of the faith. I mean, I laugh now because I had all these awards that I won in the secular media. I don't even know where they are now. I don't even know where my college degree is. It's somewhere in the basement in a box. But you should see my office. My friends just tease me because it's, it looks like a Catholic bookstore. Next to the pictures of John Paul II, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frizzati, let's see who else, all kinds of images of Jesus, especially Jesus the teacher, I have an icon of that, and yeah. images of St. Teresa well, of Avila. Well. I have my husband, but that's about it, Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. But all these different statues and these images that just remind me of, of how much we can abide. There is so yeah. much to soak up. I think abide is, abide, I think absorb is a good word too for Catholics because there's so much to absorb. And when I started to really understand what was available to me as a Catholic, particularly as a woman, because we are so fed a bill of goods by the secular culture, what the church does to women. Uh, the church uplifts, gives her, uh, gives women their true dignity and really gives them an opportunity to do whatever they are called to do. Physical motherhood, great. Spiritual motherhood, great. You want to work in the chancellery, you want to be a religious, you want to be a single, you want to run a school, you can. You want to be a pediatrician like Gianna Beretta Mola. Whoever you are, whoever God has called you to be, I didn't know these things. I didn't know these documents. So for me, abiding also means to absorb as much as I can. And mm. one of my really good friends, you may know him, Father John Ricardo, was a wonderful uh, teacher and, and pastor in Detroit, says he's Catholic because he's selfish. He wants it all when it comes <laughs> to God. And I, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell for me. Well, this abiding is a continual partnership with our Lord when you pointed out the the statues sitting on your your desk you know, a few viewers if i if i had been my old presbyterian self listening i thought oh there's a superstitious catholic again but the point is that those photos those statues those images those portraits really remind us of what grace can do well That's the and point. it's also That's the point. if you have pictures of your loved ones right. many of whom are right. deceased in your in your home i'm sure as do i i have a beautiful picture of my my grandpa, when he came over from Italy as a young boy, and this beautiful picture of him, just looking very, you know, handsome in his little suit and everything, and, and I have that in my curio cabinet, yeah, and because I want to and, remember my history. Yeah, and that image brings up a variety of things. Some right. of them are good. Some of them might be bad. You know, I've got a picture on my desk of my father who's passed away now about five years. I can look at that and, and, and get teary-eyed because I remember him and love him, mm-hmm. but I can also think, you know. I didn't tell him I was sorry. Yeah. I you can remember the things. Well, when we see the statue of of, of Teresa of Avila, or or we, you know, one of my favorite saints is Isaac Jogues of Canada, uh, the French mm-hmm. Jesuit that right. died up there. I, I think about his sacrifice, his desire mm-hmm. to um, to give his life in grace, to total sacrifice for the evangelization. Reminds us of, of what we're supposed to be shooting for. The fact that we're supposed to be emulating these people. That went before us. That's right. Yeah. And what grace can do in our mm-hmm. lives if we, you know, we can do it, but not apart from him, as that verse says. Exactly. He gives us the grace, enables it. Now, we're going to take a break in a little bit, Teresa, but we've got two ways we can go. We can either go with these other verses that dealt with your journey or verses you never saw. How what about do you verses think? we never saw? Because this okay. was something, and I had some real good training when I worked for two years at an evangelical station as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And what happened dealing with, it wasn't the Protestants, it was actually former Catholics who didn't know their faith that came after me. And it forced me to hone my skills as an apologist. I literally became a mini-apologist overnight. Okay. What was the first verse you think you want to look at when we come back? I would say probably if we want to look at Matthew 12, 32, 33, and has, as it pertains to a defense and explanation of purgatory. All right. We'll okay. do that. You're listening to Deep, uh, Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grody's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Next time on The Journey Home, join Marcus as he welcomes former United Methodist Minister Joshua Johnson to the show. See how the Holy Spirit led him to make The Journey Home to the Catholic Church. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN. The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Teresa Tamio. Um, Teresa, you, the first part, you talked about a scripture that was very important to your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, John 15, 5. Let's take now a little different skew with some scriptures that, quote, you never saw, which uh, you say these are verses that you became more aware of when you were forced to do some apologetics for why well, you're a Catholic. It's interesting because I worked at a at a Protestant station that my first job out of secular media when I started my own company and, and got back into radio was at a Protestant station as a Catholic. Now Al Cresta had worked at the same radio station, came back to the church and then went over to start Ave Maria Radio and he bre- eventually obviously brought me over there. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing was at that particular station were a lot of former Catholics who became vehemently anti-Catholic. It really wasn't my Protestant brothers and sisters who were raised Protestant. They were very loving and warm and helpful uh, nine times out of ten. It was the former Catholics who didn't know their faith. And a big thing with them was purgatory and, of course, Mary yeah. and, of course, you know, Eucharist and tell you, you re-sacrifice Christ on the cross every week, blah, 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 blah. You know the, all the arguments. And uh, purgatory was a big one, though, because if you believe in sure. one saved, always saved, there's no need for purgatory, and because mm-hmm. their Old Testament is different than ours, they don't have the references in Maccabees. But what, what struck me was when I was um, studying my way back into the church and found out about this ministry of quote-unquote apologetics and what it actually meant, it all, it all just started, because I knew I couldn't defend it from Scripture, I could defend it um, maybe from a theological perspective, why the church taught it, but for those who have gone, gone into, left the Catholic Church and joined a Protestant denomination, or for some Protestants, they really want to see it from Scripture. And, and there's a presumption amongst pr- many non-Catholics, right. as well as some Catholics, that the Scriptures defend the positions of non-Catholics. Right, right. And that's part of why we call these the verses we never saw, because sure. it's like, whoa, the, these scriptures defend, no, the Catholic perspective. Well, our friend John Martinoni, who's a wonderful apologist, yeah. says that there is nothing in the Bible that contradicts the church, and there's nothing in the That's church right. that contradicts the Bible. Everything's there. We just need to know where to look That's for it. Right. But it struck me in this verse that we mentioned uh, before the break, Matthew 12, 32, 33, where Jesus talks about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is a sin that will be, for, obviously, open rejection of Christ. Um is something that will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. Well, if there's if there's instantaneous salvation once you accept Jesus Christ, if there's an insurance, then why is there anything have to be done afterwards? Why is there this process? And this is exactly what he's referring to here. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 3.15, where St. Paul is talking about judgment, he's not talking about being physically alive on the earth, he's talking about the afterlife. You know, you shall be saved, 
but as through fire. There's this purification process that's going on. And so, yeah. you know, and, and I think if Protestants think about it, they may just call it Judgment Day or different, you know, they, they look at it at a different perspective. Again, going back to what I said earlier, sometimes it can just be a manner of semantics because we all admit, because it's so scriptural, they would never deny that, that your life, you're going to be examined what you did, and each man is going to be held accountable. But to me, this, it made such perfect sense. And of course, in Revelation, where they talk about no unclean thing mm-hmm. going into heaven. The, let's, I want to look back at this Matthew passage just a little bit more detail. Because what I want the audience, if you're looking at the scripture, I'll, I'll read it in a moment. I want you to see the, the, the problem with verses like the ones that Teresa has pointed out. Because I look back on my own day as a Presbyterian pastor, and I wasn't sure what to do with this. Well, and Steve Ray also told me this in his days as a Baptist. He didn't know how to look at these. He would just kind of Yeah, so you, you ignore them. Ignore them. And, and wait a second. If we believe in sola scriptura, as our separated brethren insist, they insist that the church doesn't have the authority to define what scripture means. They insist that the Bible alone is sufficient. They can sometimes even... uh, But whose interpretation of the Bible? Well, there's the danger, (laughs) because they can sometimes insist that even the scriptures are perspicuous. In other words, they explain themselves. Or as the Calvinists said back in the Westminster Confession, that scripture interprets scripture. you got to find another... Well, wait a second. Let me read verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And to be honest with you, Excuse me, but that wasn't explained very well by right. Jesus. Right. How do we know if we've blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And I'm telling you, a Baptist and a Lutheran and a Presbyterian and Assembly of God have, and it could be down to the individual pastor. Ten different Presbyterian pastors might have a different answer on, on how do you know whether I've failed that verse or not? Right. I don't know. And then into verse 32, okay, whatever it is that we did. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, does that mean, therefore, that there is no forgiveness? Because other scripture says that our Lord is so merciful that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, mm-hmm. cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John chapter 1. Wait a second. How do you take 1 John 1 and this verse and put them together? Here's something that you can't be forgiven for. Right. And then verse 32, and this gets you into where you're at, and who ever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, whatever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. come. I didn't deal with that one as a Presbyterian. What did you do when you had questions about it? Did you get questions about it, or did people just pretty much ignore it? I did not get that question about that verse. I, I always I don't I, remember seeing Yeah, that I always verse. wondered why they they could they could walk away from Eucharist and when you see John chapter 6 how many times he says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, what happens there? Let me and and uh, we Catholics can be guilty of this for other things. But what happens and especially as ministers if we got a difficult verse once we get an answer from someone we respect we just accept it without examination, without examination right. and it becomes our knee-jerk response. It's kind of mm-hmm. like to John chapter 6. Well, we all know he's talking figuratively, then we move on. We don't look at it. Or Matthew 16 about G- uh, Peter the rock. Well, you know, we have an explanation for that because of our uh, the twistedness the twist of the Greek. Of the Greek right. So once we get an explanation, boom, and then, it's, and then you go through this and you read a verse like the one you've mentioned here in Matthew 12, and then someone says, well, what did we mean about this? Old blasphemy, Holy Spirit. Well, that's if you choose not to accept Jesus, you've blasphemed, and then you move on. Yeah, but it still doesn't explain that there's something going on in the afterlife. <laughs> right. So how do we you deal with that? that question. Either in this age or in the, the age next. to come. Right. Well, that's talking about when you're 30. But when you're 31, it's different. Well, I'm, I'm giving a stupid yeah. answer. Yeah. But the point is, that's what happens. You right. come up with an answer that you never take the time to examine. Because if you examine it, it's going to lead you down a certain path. Exactly. It's going to lead you to the So it remains church. a verse you really, right. not that you didn't see, but you don't want to look at. Right. And that's one of the verses. Right. Now, from a Catholic perspective, just to make sure audience understands, does this imply, therefore, that if we sinned in this life, 
then after we die, if it hasn't been forgiven beforehand, that we can be forgiven in the world to come? No, that means it's, that it's this purgation that we all have to go through to be cleansed, because when we die, we're, even though we may have already been to confession, uh, and, and we are right with God before we die, and we should be doing that if we're in a state of grace and practicing our Catholic faith, but we are still unclean because only uh, we're, we're, we still have to be purified because no unclean thing. And we can't see God in that particular state, so we go through this particular What you're getting at, Teresa, yeah. is that there are, the, the bottom line is there are different understandings of sin. Right. And we go to First John and look at chapter 5, I believe, for venial and mortal sin. And that's another thing. Well, there's no difference between venial and mortal sin. They'd say, where's that in the Bible? And then I saw that in First John, like, wait a minute. It's there. there it's there. There is, a, there is a different level of sin. So I, it's, it's all there. It really is. See, the underlying issue there is that during the Reformation 500 years ago, for example, this understanding of sin was redefined right. in a way that it had not been understood for 1,500 years. In this other aspect, I mean, easy way, easy way of understanding that is, you know, I, common analogy, I, I break your window, and then I ask you for forgiveness. Right. You can forgive me, so that sin is forgiven, but you still have a broken window mm-hmm. that needs to be repaired. repaired. Right. So there's two aspects of sin. There's the, the guilt of it, and then the effects. Well, the consequences. The consequences, right. mm-hmm. the effects on our life. So that's what purgatory is about. And the reason I'm explaining is because we have uh, people coming, listening to us from a completely different understanding of sin. You know, sin mm-hmm. forgiven. No, no, no. It's Purgatory is only for people whose sin has been forgiven Given. in this life right. by grace. So they die in grace, and then they enter into what you would call it, the, the front porch of heaven, in which you get your, your shoes and your clothes cleaned and you're cleaned pure so you can enter into the presence of God. And I think in, in our limited understanding, we try to fit everything in human terms, and there's no way to put God in a box. And, and I think we tend to think of it as a room where we have a number. And we joke around, and cradle Catholics, we joke around about this all the time. Well, I'm going to be in purgatory for 15,000 years. You know, uh, My husband's going to be canonized. I say, well, he's still alive for putting up with me for you know so many years. So he'll go straight to heaven. You know, I'm just going to be stuck there with a number, you know, 9 million, 20, who knows, in 200,000 <laughs> because of my past life. But, but it's it's kind of making it a little bit lighthearted to get people to understand that it's a process. But do we know? I mean, do we know how long it lasts? No, because the, the, the whole understanding of time is so different from our earthly understanding of it. So we say purgatory, and, we, and, it, and it's been passed down over the generations in tradition sometimes, I think, and not very well. They haven't explained it uh, clearly, that we're all sitting in this room waiting to get our brand new clothes so we can walk out and go straight into heaven. But it's a process that we go through, that the soul goes through on its way to heaven. Yeah. Because you're not condemned. If you're condemned, you don't get to get to purgatory. Yeah, and there's only two places. Yeah. Heaven or hell. Hell, right. That's it. There's yeah. only two places. And if anything, we Catholics have cause the problems of misunderstanding because poor catechized Ugh. folk, you know, there are Catholics that think there are three places. There mm-hmm. are things there's four places. There's right. a limbo too. Right. Someone, you know, no, 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 there's two places. Isn't that the dance, the limbo? Yeah, the right, <laughs> right. And you, you got to get real low to get into heaven. You know, right, right. Bad catechesis. I want to make sure we also look at the First Corinthians yeah. passage that mm-hmm. you mentioned, uh, and that's in First Corinthians 3. 15. And yeah. 15, and let me read that. Um, in fact, let me just go back just um, a little bit. I'm going to read from 12 on. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though, Though he, himself he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. fire. Yeah. Now, the reason I read all the way from 12, because there's a whole bunch of things in there that the average person not is not sure how to deal with. The issue of works, right? Mm-hmm. Our separated brethren right. don't want to go right. there. Right. don't want to use that path. Wait right. a second. But it know? is talking about works here. And rewards. It's not that we're not earning that, that we're earning our way into heaven, but if you were, if you're a Christian, how do you know? 
So you go around and say you're saved. Do you believe in Jesus? Where's the proof is in the pudding? We talk about that with politicians. You know, okay, well, you say you say one thing, but how do you vote? That's what we'd say about people if they're really pro-life. We just look up their record, which is a matter of public record. Well, fine, you could say you're pro-life all you want, but if I don't see you supporting this legislation, then I'm sorry. Yeah. Or if yeah. I don't see you voting to defund Planned Parenthood, there's a problem here. It's the same thing. We we have to make sure that we are putting our, our faith into action. Faith without mo- works is dead. It's kind of a modern form of Gnosticism in which there's a division between the spiritual and the physical. But the funny thing is, is that for so many years, I, I, in, in many ways, Protestants have been a lot better at actually the works part that the Catholics they, have. They can be. <laughs> they, I mean, in terms of ministries, in terms of if you go to an evangelical church, they are wonderful at having right. ministries for every single need. Right. And Catholics, we just show up every Sunday and think well, that's all we have to do in some They, they can put us to shame in that. And, oh, yeah. And I think those evangelicals that do that, what, what's beautiful about their work is they've, they've got their motivation right. They mm-hmm. know they're not doing it to earn their no, way into heaven. because that's you love God and you want to give back, and it's, that's what it's you're called It's the gratitude. Right. Now, and some poorly catechized Catholics get caught up in works righteousness, right. even though that is far from right. the teaching of the church. And the example of this is that... And I remember as a once saved, always saved preacher, which I was, that I used this verse. I kind of ignored the works part of it. I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure what to do with that. But I would say, see, even if you lived a lousy life, you at least would be saved. You see what I'm saying? I always use it as the proof of the You're doing whatever you can trying to fit that that square hole into that round peg. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But this issue of the fire... The purging is clearly there, and I didn't deal with that. Mm-hmm. I didn't. What, what's this purging all about? Uh, you know, for me, my understanding of salvation was, you know, why should if you die tonight, why should I let you into heaven? And I would point to Jesus. It's His righteousness that covers me, and that way God doesn't see my sinfulness. Well, that's the the Luther Calvin understanding of that, and it misses the fact that a Catholic understanding has always been. That in Christ we are changed. Right. We are different. We are saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. Exactly. Yeah. Let's take another break, and when we come back, maybe you can grab one more verse you never saw for us to look at when we come back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Teresa Tamio, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Teresa Tamio. We're looking at a few verses she never saw before, even though she was reading scripture, but there were some things that uh, kind of snuck up on you. Which one you want to look at in our Oh gosh, there's moments? so many. I, I'd like to look at, talk about the whole idea of saints All right. and people praying for us and interceding because there's such a misunderstanding. I actually just did an explanation of this in the doctor's office the other day to a Lutheran secretary. She's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. You know, so that, that, was, a, that was a lot of fun to be able to, to pull those verses out and explain it to her. But the whole right. idea about being challenged, Catholics sometimes get stumped and, and are accused of praying to dead people. Well, first of all, if you're truly a Christian, we don't die. Physically, we die, but spiritually, we live forever. God willing, it's in heaven and not in, in hell. We're not, God willing, we're not condemned, right? And so what is going on? Who's closest to Christ? Who's, are we more close to him here on earth or those who are around the throne? Because everybody is praising and worshiping in heaven, and they're alive. 
And Revelation 5, and I'm looking here in the RSV version, I believe it's it's verse 6. Is it verse 6 in my glasses here? Da, okay. da, da. And between um, the throne between and the, the four throne, living right. creatures mm-hmm. and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll and it continues on. And, and then it goes down to, uh, fell down before the lamb, yep. each holding a harp and with golden yep. bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, and this goes on into the worthy is the lamb that is slain. Mm-hmm. But the saints are interceding for us. And it, it's clear here in scripture, they are alive. And what is everybody doing in heaven? They are praying. And so we are not worshiping the saints. Just as I would come to you or come to my friend in my uh, Catholic Bible study or at my parish to say, can you pray for me? Or, Father, can you keep me in prayers, you know, at Mass? Uh, this is the same thing when we ask the saints to pray for us. And it was just, it was such a beautiful thing to me. And also, aren't we supposed to be like Jesus? And what was Jesus doing at the Transfiguration? He's mm-hmm. conversing with Elijah and Moses. Now, we know Elijah was assumed, but Moses died. Moses didn't make it into the Promised Land. That's pretty clear. Anybody you know, who studies Scripture <laughs> knows that. But he's talking to Moses. And you go to this beautiful church of the Transfiguration on Mount Tabor, and you see they have the whole imagery there. And it's just, and you see this, this, this illustration in the beautiful religious art of this conversation going on between Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. See, you, you can't take scripture, the one thing I learned, you can't take it out of context. Maybe it's my journalism background that has helped me with this, because you just can't take <laughs> one thing, yeah. one little fact or one little piece of information out of, the, out of its original context and try to explain everything. You have to look at the source, you have to look at the background, you have to look at where the information is coming from. And, and this, is what, this is what it helped me do, pieces together. And it was, you know, Protestants are wonderful at lifting people up in prayer and having prayer groups and prayer chains. Well, this is the same thing. We have one of the best prayer chains going. Yeah. Well, yeah. the the danger when sola scriptura became so emphasized after the Protestant Reformation mm-hmm. is that it, it truncated the faith for millions, literally, over the last 500 years. Truncated it in that there was still a, a love for Jesus, and many continued their belief in the Trinity, even though the Trinity was something that the Church because that's not technically, that's it's not, not it's, it's drawn, right? Yeah, I mean, the, making man in our image. I what, mean, we, we draw it from, but we, we pull that together in terms of, of the tradition and, the, and, and the, the knowledge. You know, truth never changed, but truth can be revealed to us more deeply. And it was through the church uh, historians and scholars and fathers that we came to these conclusions. A core teaching of the, Catholic, of the faith, the Christian faith, came from where? The Catholic yeah. Church. The understanding of who Christ is is, is a Catholic thing as is the canons of Scripture. Is it important to believe in the Trinity to abide in Christ? Yes, and absolutely. It is. And, but the only way that we can fully understand the Trinity is by trusting that the Holy Spirit guided the church to understand one God in three persons. The earliest heresies of the church were over this question, mm-hmm. and almost every time it were, it was, it, sometimes they were priests and bishops right. that were leaning more on a particular verse of scripture rather than the teaching of the church. Invariably, the early heresies were in many ways sola scriptura, a particular, particular verse, interpretation or understanding a particular of it. verse, right. and what that leads to. I'm going to take this all the way back to your first verse that you chose. All the things you're talking about, whether it's purgatory, or the communion of the saints, or uh, Mary, or all the different mm-hmm. things. Once we abandon the overguiding authority of the church, and making sure that we have the fullness, and we're left to our own interpretation we end up with a different understanding of what it means to abide in Jesus. And so we end up today, which I consider the biggest heresy everywhere, and that is Jesus and me. I was just going to say that, Jesus and me. That's all we have to have is Jesus and me. Well, according to what? According to whom? What, do you, what, what is your moral compass? Who is your moral compass? And if you can interpret it, then you can make Jesus anything you want to be. It's interesting. Um, last night before I came into the studio, I was flipping through the channels and I was watching an interview. There was a, a Protestant minister, a woman, who was defending um, uh, the relations between man and woman, husband and wife. And she was going up against two homosexual men who were supposedly Christian. And she was saying, you know, there's a, there's a number of verses in Scripture about homosexuality, and that's why I believe it. And they came back with her and said, well, there's also a number of Scriptures in the Old Testament about how women can't be in charge of a church, so how do you explain 
explain that, and she was dumbfounded. Yeah. See, if you don't have it in context <laughs> with the three-legged stool that we talk about in the church, right. you don't have much else to, to fall back on. Right. Not, that, not that you can't use Scripture, and that Scripture, that, that we can defend everything in the faith from Scripture, but it's a bigger, deeper understanding of it because we didn't have Scripture for what? For, for we didn't have the Bible in its form. It was 300, 400 years. And then, of course, we didn't, nobody had copies of it. It was just, it, 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 well, until you had the Gutenberg Press, which I studied in journal, journalism school. But even then, the average person didn't own a Bible like we have yeah. now. It just mm-hmm. wasn't, and they were, most people were illiterate back then. And so without, without the context of this, because as Catholics, we can go into uh, the theology of the body, and, and we can go in terms of being made in his image and likeness, and what the church taught about the dignity of the human person, even before we had the physical Bible, which goes all the way back you know, to the church fathers and, and more. So this is what this taught me, uh, the authority and what that means. And people say, oh, well, we have this in the church, we have this problem, we have this scandal, and they talk about the golden age of the church. There was never a golden age of the church. Read the book of Acts. I mean, right from the beginning, right. and r- right from Jesus' own ministry, there were problems <laughs> within the apostles, infighting, and, and you had your, your Judas Iscariot. But to me, it's, it's time and time again. I look out in the culture, in the world, and I see how truth just reveals itself. It's just whether we're talking about sexually transmitted diseases, whether we're talking about the breakdown of the family, whether we're talking about what happens when we become our own popes, over and over again, the problem leads back to a lack of authority and a moral compass. You can't do it alone. You have to abide in him. You just have to within the Catholic Church. Abiding in Jesus requires total surrender. Total surrender. And not holding anything back, which means accepting the fact that it was his intent that there be a church as the channel of the graces saved through the church right. as being a part of the body. That was That's his teaching. That's the teachings of Ephesians. That's the New Testament teaching. But it, we mean in surrender doesn't mean surrendering our intellect. It means surrendering our pride. No, it actually means if, if you <laughs> surrender, you're going to see the intellect and the beauty and the design. It's going to give you a greater appreciation for this incredible God that we serve, that he's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you. We've got a minute to go. I just want to give you this time to remind the audience of how they can find out more about you and the work that you do. Sure. Uh, the easiest way probably is in addition to listening to uh, EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network, finding us at EWTN.com. Uh, or Satellite 160, then go to my website at TeresaTamio.com. And that's Teresa as in Avila, T-E-R-E-S-A. All right, very good. Thank you so much, Teresa. Your reminder of us, the need to abide. And, you know, the beauty of that is uh, I'm not to worry about yesterday, and I'm not to worry about tomorrow, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. It's just today. Today. So today, how can I abandon myself to my Lord Jesus and listen through his church, how I can most sincerely walk through him, not on my own, but as the verse you pointed out, with him. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. It's his graces. That Happy Easter. Buona Pasqua. Same to you and to all of you listening. Thank you very much. God bless you. Listen to EWTN always. It will help you know how to follow Jesus and his church. God bless you. See you soon.